in today's show. We're talking NBA draft prospects. Of course we are. And included in those draft prospects today, we're going to be talking about Paolo Banquero. Michael Bolton? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. Of course, we are free and available on all platforms, talking draft prospects. We've got two more draft prospect shows to go today where we're going to be talking with uh, Alex, who you might know as Draft Film School. Draft Film School, that's his name. We're going to be talking Paolo. We're going to be talking Max Christie, Darion Sebron, um, and Kennedy Chandler. And then tomorrow, fingers crossed, assuming everything goes to plan, Rafael Barlow will be back to cover the remaining prospects, including AJ Griffin, Nikola Jovic, and Jeremy Sohan. So that is the schedule, then a couple of mock drafts to round it up, and then the NBA draft, which at this point, I'm probably going to be doing a live show for the NBA draft. Stay tuned for more details on that once I figure out exactly what I'm doing, but warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> so here he is. First time on the show. You might have seen him on Twitter. His handle, Draft Film School. Alex, welcome to the show. Can you hear me? Alex, you put the headphones in and it and it's and it stopped working. Let's uh, let's fix that up. Take two, Alex. Now, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Perfect. We're good. We're ready to go. We're rolling, and there we, we are here to talk about the NBA draft again. As I said, you might have seen Alex on Twitter at Draft Film School. We're going to use his draft knowledge to break down a bunch of prospects. And the way that we've done it on all of these shows is, I come in and I ask the people who are coming on the show to discuss draft guys with me is. Yeah, well, who's a player that they are higher on than the general consensus? And Alex, your answer was Paolo Banquero. We haven't spoken about Banquero yet, so we're leaving him to the end here. He's a 19 years of age. I don't know why that sounded so weird. 19 years old, six foot ten forward from Duke, who is widely considered one of the best offensive players, offensive big men in this class, if not the best player in general, really high-level passing, um, but seems to be just slotted in at number three. Would you take him at one? Is that how high you're going? Yeah, absolutely. He's my number one player in this class. Uh, you mentioned the passing. Uh, he's probably the best passer out of like the lottery prospects in this class. He's probably number one. And when you can get a guy being a solid passer at 6'10", 250 pounds, I mean, and that's not even his best skill set. His best skill set is scoring. So for me, he's the number one option in this class. I think he has you know number one potential potential like scoring upside uh, on a good team so for him for me those attributes kind of jump him above of uh, Jabari Smith and, and Chet Holmgren in this class yeah not not to spoil too much from when I do mock draft later in the week but he's jumped up to at least number two for me um and I've got him in that top two him and Chet pretty pretty close and I could see it going either way I'm I am falling a little bit out with with Jabari at this point 28 percent usage 
at Duke. And I think a lot of people look at it and go, oh, I'm not sure. Like 34% shooting. Where's the defense? Um, you know, can he protect the rim? Does he have to play exclusively at the four? Is this an offensive only big man? Like big man? Like where does he fit with that? Let's talk about the shooting because he hit 34% on a 25% three-point attempt rate, which is not a bad number. And I would expect, given some of his other shooting touch, that he will be able to become a better NBA three-point shooter than that 34% at Duke may have uh, indicated to us. Yeah, I think he's definitely a better shooter than the numbers lie. You you mentioned 34% from three, which is still not a bad number. Mm. And when you take into account the the type of attempts he was taking, pretty difficult shots, a lot off of the dribble. For me, when I went back on the tape and looked, a lot of his misses came off of shots that he really like hesitated before taking the shot. I think he does need to iron out just consistency, getting into a shot better, footwork, things like that. But from a touch standpoint, you mentioned it. I think he has all the numbers that, you know, you can project him to be a decent enough shooter. And again, you go back to his size and strength combination. You look at him in the mid-range, he's probably one of the best mid-range creator shooters in the class at his size. That's just another aspect of his game that I think will help translate to the next level. And then expanding that out to the three-point line, I, I don't really see him ever being kind of a sharpshooter like Jabari Smith probably will be. But him just being like a league average three-point shooter, I think is really all you really need from a guy who's probably projected to be kind of a three-level scorer. So maybe the three from long distance might be the weakest part of his offensive game, but I don't think it's going to be an overall negative part of his game. I don't think, and you correct me if I'm wrong with this, I don't think he needs to be a sharpshooter three-point guy. Like it's not like he's going to be utilized in the way that Ryan Anderson was, where it's like, get out there and bang in threes. And maybe, to be honest, the way that Jabari Smith is used. The the common comparison, player comparison for Bunkero seems to be Detroit Pistons era Blake Griffin, a guy that, I was talking to this with my son the other day. It's about Blake Griffin, how he just evolved his game every year and you know, became a, a three-point shooter and then became a ball handler and a passer and like a pseudo point guard. But Bancaro is coming in with a lot of those skills already with that with that ability to, to hit some threes, can improve there, but to handle the ball as well. So you know, being a guy that where you can just put the ball in his hands and let him be not the offense, but a big part of the offense means he doesn't have to be that level of sharp shooting three-point three point shooter, in my opinion, because he's going to be able to orchestrate a bunch of stuff rather than a guy who's going to be just doing pick and pops and spot-ups um, you know, in the corner as a big man, which maybe is what leads or Jabari Smith career pushes towards. I, th- I see them as very different players, and I think the lack lack of elite three-point shooting is not going to hurt Bunkero that much. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in full agreement. I think he brings enough offensively in terms of scoring and playmaking that the shooting, it kind of is what it is. Um, and then if he turns out to be a good shooter, then that's just an added bonus. And then if he kind of flattens out in a low 30% from three, then he brings enough in the mid-range, getting to the rim, finishing, uh, and then the playmaking again. I think he's definitely going to be a positive offensively overall. Last thing with Bunkero is defense. Um, we talk about six foot ten guy that maybe would have to play small ball center at times, but yeah, you know, the block rate's really low. The steal rate's okay, but it's not great defensively is he disastrous or is he okay or is it again just like a Blake Griffin comparison where it's not he's not the best defender he's probably below average but the offense just really sort of wipes out a lot of those concerns yeah I think he's definitely a worse athlete than Blake so he'll definitely have to try a lot harder on defense I think to be impactful I don't think he's a disaster though there definitely were disastrous moments at Duke uh, and primarily it kind of came from the lack of 
effort and trying and just being consistent. I think he has shown flashes of, you know, weak side rim protection, staying in front of guys on the perimeter, but they were a little too far, you know, few and in between. Uh, I do think he's a really good communicator. You watch the the games and he's pointing out guys, pointing teammates where to go. Seems to always know, uh, you know, in terms of a team defensive scheme, like where people need to be. So overall, he might not ever be kind of a lockdown defender or even a positive defender. But again, 6'10", strong frame. You think at least he'll be able to hold his own in the post and down low. So for me, he brings enough offensively. You mentioned Blake Griffin, kind of the similar archetype where they're, you know, hyper-efficient offensive players and then just maybe neutral defenders. And that's really all you need from them because they're bringing so much usage on the offensive end. And I think, I think Paul Bencaro is kind of going to bring that to the NBA as well when he gets there. It's going to be really exciting to see what he's able to do once he does get drafted, looking like again at number three. But yeah, like you, I'm pushing him a little bit higher there. We'll get back to some other players in just a sec, but I'm going to tell you guys about Truebill. Plenty of times we sign up for subscriptions and we forget about them and free trials and we forget. And then the companies continue to charge us because it's it's a scam. These greedy corporations, they're trying to take your money. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for those subscriptions that you don't need, that you don't want, or the ones that you simply forgot about. And you can save, like people do on average, up to $720 per year with Truebill. And because those subscriptions are hard to cancel, Truebill just slides right in there and goes, we'll make it easy. Very, very easy. Just one click, link them all together, and they will sort that all out for you. So don't fall for those subscription scams anymore. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now. That's truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Don't forget also to check out the Locked On Ultimate NBA Mock Draft. Just search Ultimate Mock Draft um, in your podcast feed and you will find that where we've got picks going right across for the next four or five days. There was one released last week and a couple more coming this week. Now, uh, Alex, let's talk about a player that you're a little bit lower on. We actually had someone uh, on the show last week have the same opinion, and that was um, Chuck from Chucking Darts talking about how he is lower on consensus with Oshai Agbaji, the 22-year-old six-foot-six guard from Kansas. I am also lower on Agbaji. I know a lot of people are really high. They love his intangibles. They love his progress over the yeah, many, many years he spent in college and the improvements that he showed. I, I think that's fine, but... I'm I'm just not massive on yeah, people who are saying, hey, maybe maybe a lottery pick, um, you know, steady production. I, I'm I'm not maybe I have a level of ageism in in my selections. I'm just not that interested in picking a senior who really only started to put up these big numbers when he was an upperclassman. Yeah, and I'm in a similar boat. You know, I don't have him too far down. Maybe like in the the early 20s, 21, 22. So it's not like I'm super out on Egbaji as a prospect. I think he's going to be a long term you know role player in the NBA. You look at his archetype, 6'6", shooting guard. He's a really good athlete, good defender, uh, really great shooter, off movement, off ball, catch and shoot. My worry with him, he doesn't do a lot on ball. The, the ball handling isn't the best for a guard position. So is he going to be able to play make for others? Is he going to be able to drive, get all the way to the basket at the NBA level? I'm not sure. But I think, you know, 3 and D is an archetype that's thrown out around uh, the NBA all the time. I think he'll fit into that mold. It's all about just value. Where do you value a, t- a guy like that at 22 years old coming into the NBA? You know, I think if there's a contending team drafting higher in, in the class, then they might, you know, go for a guy like Abaji, kind of plug and play. You look at even 
uh, Cleveland at 14. I think he's a good fit on their roster. And maybe, you know, if they take him at 14, I would totally understand it. I, I would probably take a higher upswing guy. You still have a young team in Cleveland. Uh, is it worth kind of taking a 22-year-old prospect who doesn't, you know, he might have upside that we just don't see. But for me, that's why I'm just higher on other guys, younger guys who might be more versatile and, you know, offer different skill sets that Agbaji might not have. When I was talking to Chuck about him last week, we were talking about being yeah, a high-level three-point shooter. And he shot 41% last season at Kansas, but only 74 from the line. And we were talking about him, you know, maybe to be an elite three-point shooter, Joe Harris, Duncan Robertson in the past, um, these guys, you've got to be you know, Seth Curry, 44, 45% uh, at the NBA level. And yeah, Budgie might be solid, but that might be 37%. It might be 38%. And if you don't have another string to your bow necessarily, like that level of shooting, it can be found in other guys who handle the ball or run pick and roll or um, are, are younger with you know, an extra three, four years development there behind them. So what do you view with his three-point shooting? Can it be this elite level spot-up guy that's going to be 44, 45% or is it going to be you know, a, a guy who's you know, sitting down at that lower level where that, that makes it a little bit harder to find that value? Yeah, I think he's probably going to end up somewhere in maybe the high 30s, maybe 40, 41 percent. But again, it's all about kind of versatility of your shooting nowadays, right? Are you going to be running around a crazy amount of screens like Steph Curry and knocking them down like that? Or are you just going to stand in the corner and knock down um, catch and shoot threes? You know, they all count for three points, right? But they don't all, you know, bring the same value to an offense and, and ball movement. So it's more versatility for me. Can he do a little bit more off the dribble? Can he do a little bit more coming off screens versus just catching shoot? Uh, you know, time will tell. I do think he's probably more, you know, closer to a good shooter than a great shooter. And, and that's another hang up where, you know, if the numbers dip down a little bit, like you mentioned to, you know, mid thirties, high thirties, is he as valuable than if he continues on like the 42% uh, trajectory and you with him, you're kind of banking on the, the higher numbers if you're drafting him higher in this draft. Uh, and with me, I just, I, I'm not ready to buy in fully because I don't know if he brings enough upside to really warrant taking him that high. If the, the shooting numbers kind of dip, because again, defensively he's good. He's not locked down great all of the time. And for a guy who's going to be in that three and D mold, I think you really need both to be not elite, but like great level to be able to, you know, go in the top 10, top 14 of a draft class. Yeah, that's basically the way that I feel about it. And it's the way I've felt about him basically since the start of this process. It's like, it's fine. He could be a solid role player, but, you know, is there any growth to do more than that? And, and, and I'm not sure that it's there. We're going to talk about a few more players in just a sec, but now I've got to tell you guys about Bet Online, your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. You can find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including the Stanley Cup playoffs, which of course at the moment is 2-0 to the Avalanche, and Major League Baseball, as well as esports, MMA, fighting, boxing, all of that sort of stuff. All of your sports wagering information, including live betting, is over at betonline.net. You can get all of the sports scores, all your podcasts and news over there as well. And it's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of those favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing and golf. I didn't mention golf. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device. Learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online is where the game starts. Let's go to another guard. Now, um, Tennessee, point guard, Kennedy Chandler. There is a dearth of point guards in this draft class. Chandler is a guy where I've gone back and forth in terms of, you know, depending on how you classify Dyson Daniels and Jaden Ivey, who to me are sort of point guards, but sort of not really point guards. Um, 
Chandler and Ty Ty Washington seem to be that next group of guys on that list. And I've sort of gone back and forth on them in the teens as to where they fit. Chandler is small. He's 20 years of age. He's only six foot. But does the lack of those true point guards in this class push him a little bit higher than perhaps he would go in a regularly distributed class in terms of ball handlers? Yeah, I think in this class, if there's a team you know desperate for a point guard, I could see him definitely going in that late teens area. I have him down in like the mid twenties. Uh, the size is basically the one thing with him that you know it's tough to be a six foot point guard in the NBA. Just straight up, I mean, you look across the league, there's really Chris Paul, and, and that's it, at least on the starting caliber caliber level. So with Kennedy, I think he definitely has an uphill battle. But you you look at him, the first thing that pops is the speed. I mean, he's a speed demon in transition. Even in the half court, he's able to turn corners around, pick and roll, get to the rim. At six feet, he has a pretty good finishing craft. So I'm pretty confident with him being able to get downhill pressure on defenses, with which open up passing lanes, uh, skip passes, things like that. And he's, he's a pretty decent passer at the point guard position. So with him, the speed is definitely his number one uh, you know, big trait that, that I think will translate. And then, you know, it's just size. Does he have enough speed to overcome the size? And defensively, uh, that's another thing where he is a solid defender, at least at the collegiate level. Will that translate to the next level where everyone's a little bigger, everyone's a little more athletic? Uh, it's just a big question mark on that side of the ball, just being six foot. He's got a six five wingspan, so a plus five there is solid. Um, and one thing we've talked defensively, like a lot of the advanced stuff from college loves him, like defensive block score plus minus was really huge, and steal rate. Like 2.5 steals per 36 minutes is a really, really big number. And I've talked about on this show a lot is that collegiate steal rate, while it doesn't necessarily translate to NBA steal rate, but it generally translates to NBA success. And that's not going to be for everybody, obviously. But it's always an interesting indicator. So yeah, those those are big steal numbers. To average, he averaged over 2.2 steals per game in 31 minutes. And they are big numbers. So defensively, is it just like you, you worry about him getting bullied? Or can he... Yeah, the ability to generate turnovers and are these passing lane steals? Are they on ball steals? You know, ripping ripping guys as they're trying to dribble. Like, how much of a terror can he be on that end, or is it a little bit overblown? No, he's definitely got a knack for the ball. Uh, you know, he does a little bit of both jumping passing lanes. He could strip guys on ball too, and then with the speed again. Once he gets the ball, he's gone, and he's running the break. He's finishing on its own or, or setting up teammates. So, I think overall defensively be able to kind of create havoc and create turnovers it's just for me if he's getting in switching situations getting bigger guys on him will he be able to hold up maybe he is strong he has that long wingspan it's just so tough for six foot guys to just be plus defenders at the next level they definitely can be uh but it's just an uphill batter for guys that size and i i, I do like kennedy Chandler as an overall prospect you know you mentioned the point guard class kind of being on the weaker side I have him right next to, you know, Ty Ty Washington, who you mentioned on my board. So I don't really see too much differential uh, between those two guys in terms of where I slot them. Uh, You know, they're different point guards in the way they play. But for me, they're kind of similar value in this draft class. Let's go on to another guy now whose college production was, I don't know, bad, maybe. I don't know how to to best summarize what Max Christie did at Michigan State. He's a 6'6 wing, 6'9 wingspan. He averaged nine points on a true shooting of 49%. He averaged one and a half assists, half a steal. Like these are all bad numbers. Like I don't know what I can say that's good about these numbers. He hit 82% from the free throw line. That's pretty good. 
Um, he's got good size, but is that what we're banking on? Like, because these numbers are, are are really quite bad. Yeah, there's really no statistical you know reason to take Max Christie in the first round, but you know it's all hypothetical. It's all you know projections for him. He does have good size. He has probably the best looking jumper in the class. It just didn't fall for him at Michigan, Michigan State for whatever reason. I project him to be a knockdown shooter at the next level, though. I have him, you know, just outside the first round in like the 35-ish range. So I'm willing to bet on a 6'6 wing who I think will be a knockdown shooter. He has some defensive potential here and there. He definitely needs to lock in at that point and get a lot stronger. He's got a pretty skinny frame right now. He was only a freshman, so there's definitely room for growth there. I think he's in he's just what the nba is looking for if he reaches his max potential right he's a six 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 nine wing who can be a knockdown three and d guy i think if you get that guy and you get his max potential then you, you're looking at a really really solid starter uh it's just all hypothetical at this point with him yeah that's the thing look he's got age on his side he's quite young he's got that good size but no production and you compare that with these some of these other guys that yeah around that area like yeah, kendall brown had some real struggles this season, you've got um, yeah, Christian Brown um, from Kansas. Again, that similar size, obviously a little bit of an older prospect. These similar size guys, players with poor production, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Peyton Watson, who are a little bit taller, but there's still that switchy wing size guy that you're looking at and going, well, if it works, it's everything we need. And it just didn't in college for, for a lot of these guys. So in comparison to, say, yeah, Baldwin and Watson, who I think are, are similar in terms of the complete lack of production in college, but still the measurables and the pedigree associated with them is high. How do you sort of compare those guys? Admittedly, playing slightly different positions, but you know, two through four interchangeability, wing size guys. Um, how do you view those three together? Yeah, so I have Patrick Baldwin Jr. a little higher than those two guys. Uh, Watson and Christie, I have you know in the mid thirties. Patrick Baldwin Jr. I still have in in the mid twenties, just because I mean. Patrick Baldwin Jr. is basically kind of a throwaway year uh, at Milwaukee. Uh, I'm buying the the high school tape and just him being a knockdown shooter at 6'10". And just it was just a bad situation that he was in at Milwaukee. So not trying to, you know, dampen his... Obviously, it was a bad year, but not trying to put too much stock into that one bad year. He only played 11 games there. So it's not a huge sample size. Didn't really have any help. So that's why I'm, I'm still holding some stock in Patrick Baldwin. Uh, and then, you know, Peyton Watson's kind of a different story because he just didn't get the minutes. UCLA was a good team gunning for the Final Four, gunning for a championship. Didn't really trust an 18-year-old lanky freshman who, you know, was struggled offensively but really had some solid defensive flashes. I mean, he's long. He's athletic. He basically takes up the whole entire court when he's there standing in the paint. So uh, I, have, I have Watson a little higher than Christie. But at the end of the day, I think – anywhere in between the 25 to 35 range for these guys they're all pretty pretty close together let's go to a guy who had more production over in college and he's a little bit older he's on the old uh keegan murray 22 year old sophomore diet that's darian sebron 66 guard nc state who you know, measures 66 69 wingspan just turned 22 and you look at some of the numbers you go, oh, 17 points really good 36 minutes a night eight rebounds that's really good as a shooting guard but why can't he shoot? 26% shooting from three, never took threes, 10% three-point attempt rate. Got to line a ton, wasn't massively successful, though. 71% is not ideal for a guard. So he's sort of a, a little bit of a, a weirdo, a high-scoring, high-rebounding guard who can't hit threes and not great at the line. 
I don't know how all that makes sense you know, in terms of context. Playing on NC State is there? Yeah, is it just like he was taking tons of tons of bad shots and had to just drive incessantly because you know the three point shot wasn't going in? Is there projectability with that? Like, where does he fit? Because some of those numbers are intriguing. Like the, the free throw attempt rate is good, the scoring numbers are good, the rebound numbers are good, but does it mean anything for the NBA? Well, he is by far the best driver in this class with the basketball in his hands. He can get to the rim at will. It doesn't, doesn't matter how many guys are in front of him. He just finds a way. He's long. He's athletic. He takes really good angles around screens. So for me, he's just a relentless downhill attacker. That's the number one skill that he's going to bring to the NBA and that I think will translate. I think once he gets stronger, that you know free throw temporary will probably even go up or he'll actually increase his finishing ability. So that's kind of the, the bankable skill. And then you mentioned the shooting. Yeah, it's it's really rough shooting numbers for sure. And I don't know how to project it. He was a decent free throw shooter, three-point shooter. You know, he had some bad misses. He had some good makes. So it, it was kind of up and down, just overall really low usage, though, on that end. So it's tough to project if he will be a good enough shooter where he can use the driving ability to kind of, uh, you know, be able to take advantage of that. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, mid second round, I'm willing to take a guy who, you know, has one bankable NBA skill and you can just build around that. And I think Darion Sebron has that with his driving ability. The free throw shooting is really weird because you look at some games and there's massive numbers. Nine of 11 in the season ender against Clemson. 10 of 12 from the line. Um, a you know, 17 of 29, a 7 of 9, an 8 of 10. Like These are huge volumes and good conversion. And then there's a 5 of 9. And then there's two of four. And then there's a couple of seven of 11s. Like these are you know, bad bad nights where you're missing almost half of your shots from the line. So getting to the line, no problem. But there's nights where he hits him. So we, there is, a, I guess, a little bit of hope to hold out that maybe like he can become a guy that gets to the line, hits 78, 79%, and maybe that starts to improve some of the other stuff. But at the moment, it's just wildly inconsistent. And then again, not taking any of those threes and then the ones that he does take, not hitting them leads us to have a level of concern. Is he um, disastrous on defense? Um, he wasn't good, that's for sure. But NC State ran a all-switching scheme. So if he's getting into that scheme in the NBA, it's something he's used to, but he's not the best at. He is pretty skinny still. He is he's six six, good size and everything. Uh, but too, you know, few and far between, he would kind of fall asleep, miss a switch here and there. So he definitely needs to lock in on that end. He definitely he has the tools. He has all the tools to become a great defender or at least serviceable defender. He's going to need some work on that end for sure. But he definitely has you know the wingspan and the length. Uh, he needs to get stronger though to be able to you know really be a positive on defense. But he didn't have a great defensive season at NC State. But I do think there is something in there with him if you can lock him into a certain system that he'll be able to be at least a neutral uh, contributor. We've been talking about guards a lot, and we're going to finish off by talking about another guard, a guy who's considered, I guess, one of the better passers in this class. Now, he is an older player. That's Alondez Williams from Wake Forest. He just turned 23 today. Yeah, today. He turned 23 today. He's a 6'5 shooting guard, point guard. I think he's more of a point guard. He averaged five assists per game last season, um, scored 19 points. But again, 
shot 28% from three. He took a fair few of them, just they didn't go in, and he was also, he was even worse from the free throw line than what Sebron was, just hitting those at 69%. Giggity! But 51% overall from the field. Um, again, older player, solid passing numbers, um, good scoring numbers, really high usage. Is this a case of, hey, you are old and you are beating up on younger players and the usage and all the passing and, and running a lot of this stuff at Wake Forest is just going to have no translatability to the NBA because you're never going to be put in this position where you have the ball and you have this level of usage. Well, that's the thing. Will he be able to showcase that at the next level? I don't know if he'll get the opportunity to. I hope he does. Uh, he was really fun to watch at Wake Forest. He is such a powerful guard. He can get to his spots. Uh, he can get all the way to the rim. Great finisher around the rim. You mentioned the passing. He's probably overall the best passer uh, in, in this class. You know, I mentioned Paulo at the front. I think Paulo will get the ability to showcase his passing more than Alondas Williams will at the NBA level. So I don't know if it's all going to translate. If he gets the runway to show what he can do, I think he can do some things at the NBA because he'll, he'll be strong enough. He'll, he'll work his butt off. I mean, he'll be able to, you know, defend at the next level. I think overall it's going to come down to the shooting. Will an NBA team put him out on the floor, trust him enough to shoot the ball, be their kind of bench, uh, you know, point guard, third guard coming off the bench, whatever it may be. Will they put the ball in his hands? Because he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands pretty much. I mean, he's not going to give you anything really off ball. He wants to play make. He wants to drive. He want he wants to shoot. You mentioned he shot a lot. They didn't tend to go in too often. So he can bring a lot to the table, but a lot of that is on ball usage, which is so few and hard to come by and be an actual efficient on ball player at the NBA level. I just don't know if he'll get the opportunity, especially, you know, being a 23 year old coming into the league. It's going to find it's going to be a certain team that, that really has that need at guard and trusts him enough. And, you know, all it takes is one team, but we'll just see where he lands, I guess. It, it feels like one of those guys that, um, you know, Hooper, Twitter, he's going to love because he's going to be able to take guys one-on-one. He's going to be able to score and he's going to be able to get a bucket, but that doesn't make sense for a team construct because you need to put the ball in his hands so much. Similar to a guy, now maybe I'm completely wrong on this comparison, a guy that um, you know, had some supporters at some point a few years ago, Alonzo Trier, who you, yeah, he could score and he could put up these interesting numbers if you just gave him the ball at every opportunity, but it makes no sense to do that in an NBA team construct. Is that... A, like, he's a better passer than what, say, someone like Trier was, but is that like a fair description of the the troubles that he may have translating to the NBA? Yeah, no, I think I think from a, a situational standpoint, I think that makes sense. He's yeah, he's definitely a better passer, better defender than a guy like Alonzo Trier was. Um, so he can bring other things besides scoring. But again, you know, he all at the end of the day he needs the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, Grant Riller is another example oh, yeah. from a few years ago, older guy. You know, dominated the collegiate level playing, you know, probably, you know, guys that, you know, had no business playing against, uh, you know, a guy like Grant Griller at Charleston. He didn't really translate. You know, I think he had some injury, in, uh, you know, unfortunately that, that you know, ended his, you know, career. I don't know if career, but it just no, it feels kind like of stopped it. his yeah. development. Um, but he's just kind of that older guard bucket getter that Alondis Williams kind of is. And Again, it's going to come down to just will he get the opportunity to have the ball in his hands and showcase what he can do, and it's going to be it's going to be close. I, I don't know. Maybe he goes mid second round. Team falls in love with him and gives him the keys to their third, you know, guard spot or, or maybe even the second unit. But I think uh, it's going to be tough for him to just find a home long term. 
And then given that he's 23 years old, he doesn't have a lot of runway to really, you know, develop and grow with the team, um, you know, off the rookie uh, scale contract. Well, Alex, thank you for coming on and discussing what was a large amount of guards. I don't know why I put so many guards onto this show, but that's what we ended up discussing. Um, if you don't follow Alex, go and follow him at Draft Film School. Alex, what have you got cranking out at the moment, articles-wise, no ceilings, podcasts? What have you got going on at the moment that people can go and check out? Yeah, uh, so I write for uh, No Ceilings NBA, so go follow us on Twitter. Uh, We're putting out articles every day. We should have some mock drafts up this week leading up to the draft on Thursday. Uh, We also have a live stream uh, draft night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be all of us on, uh, you know, going pick by pick, reactions, um, you know, discussing all the players that are picked. So it should be a fun time. So make sure to tune in to that. So go and, go and check out all of Alex's work. Um, I said you can find him on Twitter. You can find all the No Ceilings guys. We had a few of those guys on over the last couple of weeks. Alex, thanks for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. And that'll do it for today's show. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumbs up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. So yeah.